Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with me, Nicholas Feasy. I came across this uh, recently. It says, when you listen to a talk or read a book about the Dharma, it's not for the purpose of getting notions or ideas. In fact, it's for releasing notions and ideas. You don't replace your old notions and ideas with new ones. The talk or the writing should be like the rain that can touch the seed of wisdom and freedom within you. That's why you have to learn to listen. We listen or read not to receive notions and concepts, but in order to get free from all notions and concepts. What is important is not what you remember about what was said, but that you're free. And I think this whole subject of diminishment and everything, there's so many notions and concepts about it. And it's so tempting to just try and grab onto anything that is going to make us feel better that it's good just to think about the, the idea that the whole purpose is to feel free at the end of it. So this is the last in the series that we're going to be doing on friendship. Um, the whole idea has been uh, to look at our friendship through the various areas of, of our life. Uh, friendship being the deepest level of support and encouragement, the deepest level of support and encouragement to an end that's mutually enriching. And if you want to sort of look up any of the previous ones, uh, if you have a look at the red card in front of you, that shows you how you can uh, uh, access them. And if you're new to the chapel, there's a blue card as well, and you can fill that blue card in and just leave it somewhere and maybe in the, the offertory or whatever it is, and uh, uh, you can join our mailing list through that. So last week, in terms of friendship, we looked at friendship uh, with our family. And in the past, we've looked at friendship with the earth, friendship with diversity, with God, with the ongoing chaos of our lives. We began by looking at the friendship that we have with each other and moving from friendships that are merely transactional to ones that are of an anamkara nature, soul friendship, as described by John O'Donoghue in that book of the same name. But, you know, in reality, you can look at anything and say, do I have a friendship with this part of my life? Do I have a supportive and encouraging uh, relationship that's mutually enriching? And the last area that I want to look at in terms of friendship is friendship with our bodies, our very existence, and our diminishment. We're all, all of course, involved with our bodies. When we talked about the earth, I mentioned that we saw that the way we treat our bodies is often symptomatic about the way we treat everything else. If we abuse our bodies, then it tends to be that we'll also abuse the environment around us as our bodies just are really a part of the environment. So how we treat our bodies will be a reflection of how we treat everything else. But I want to look at our relationship with our own aging and diminishment. You know, most of us recoil at the idea uh, when we bring it up. We do everything we can to stop the aging process. There's a whole industry around it. There are pills, remedies, surgeries, anything 
to keep ourselves looking and feeling young. But there is, you know, pretty much a Dorian Gray aspect about this. We might not have a portrait of ourselves up in the attic that's gradually aging, but somewhere there's an awareness <clears throat> of ourselves going into a decline as we try, canute-like, to hold back the waves of time as long as we can. To me, that doesn't sound like a relationship that's supportive and encouraging to an end that's mutually enriching. <clears throat> it sounds like a fight to the death that we're never going to win. I know myself, you know, I'm 68, nearly 69, and I'm acutely aware of every little lesion that appears on my body. Um, what my statin level is what my PSA level is, and if you don't know what that is and you're a man, you soon, soon will. <laughs> the fact that everybody seems to be speaking more quietly and the print size in the newspapers is getting smaller. The, the knee pain, the arm pain, the heartburn at night, the acid reflux, you know, the, the, the list that I could give you just goes on. And every little change in my body sparks a worry that it, it might be leading to something else. I can feel the fear around the diminishment of my body. And there is that ultimate fear, which is where it will all end, the fear of death. I mean, is this healthy? It seems an odd question when, of course, it's all about health, us, us wanting to be healthy. I always like the fact that the word health in Latin is sanus, S-A-N-U-S, where we get the word sane from and, and insane from. And really, it's a test for health in, in some levels is a sound mind. And that's obviously about mental health, but it also seems to work for physical health. It doesn't seem right to me that we have such a great fear of diminishment. I mean, as I say, what's that about? Well, obviously, it's about the fear of becoming less. Or maybe it speaks to us of not being anymore. Whatever it is, there's an aspect of our ego or our mind that's saying that this is not good and should be resisted at all costs. <clears throat> I always think when I think about aging, that, that famous Dylan Thomas poem, Do Not Go Gentle into that good night. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at the closing of the day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end know dark is right because their words had forked no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men, the last wave by, crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight and learned too late, they grieved it on its way, do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men, near death, who see the blinding sight, blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay, Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on the sad height, 
Curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And when I hear that, I always want to say, Dylan Thomas, no! No, I want to say. Yeah, he himself had a terrible relationship with life and died in an awful alcohol-fueled death. And yet this poem is often quoted as evidence that we should resist with everything diminishment and death. I don't think we should. I think we should make friends with it so that the process can be both supportive and enriching. Joseph Campbell the American writer who worked in comparative mythology and comparative religion, he said this. I think it's great. The problem in middle life, I'll be kind and say we're all in middle life here, when the body has reached its climax of power and begins to decline, the problem is to identify yourself not with the body which is falling away, but with the consciousness of which the vehicle is a part. This is something I learned from myths. What am I? Am I the bulb that carries the light? Or am I the light of which the bulb is the vehicle? Am I the bulb or am I the light of which the bulb is the vehicle? One of the psychological problems in growing old is the fear of death. People resist the door of death. But this body is a vehicle of consciousness. And if you can identify with the consciousness, you can watch your body go like an old car. Campbell says, there goes a fender. There goes a tire. One thing after another, but it's predictable. And then gradually... The whole thing drops off, and consciousness rejoins consciousness. It's no longer in this particular environment. I mean, I could shut up now, because that says it all. But of course, I'm not going to. I think there are two things here. One is the identification with consciousness that produces the body, and the identification, secondly, of the body as it begins to fall apart. It's all very well, which is what we do here at the chapel, to identify with the ground of all being, the realisation that we are all stardust, that we are the universe made conscious of itself. But when we're faced with the reality of things not working, or things growing where they should not be growing, or the inability to get around like we used to, then our attention becomes firmly focused on the realities rather than any abstract ideology. And then in the end, it seems that there's some sort of blackout when all the lights are turned off and we never remember that we even existed. We're just not there anymore. Okay, there is a belief that you know, in the end our, our pets and our relatives will be there to welcome us in the rolling Elysian fields, that final resting place of the soul of the heroic and virtuous Greek mythology and religion. But in reality, that whole idea of, you know, the heaven and everyone visit, I mean, the jury's still out about that happening. 
And I don't think the jury will return before we have to face that particular problem. So there's pressure little comfort there unless we, and you can do this, lock ourselves into a mindset that does not broach any alternatives. So we're left with this rather worrying mystery at the end of it all. And on top of that, the obvious atrophying of our bodies that happens as we move towards it. Some get ill, some do not. Some die early, some do not. It it seems it's not fair. Ecclesiastes is always a good place to go in this say. Ecclesiastes says, all share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices, those who go to church, and those who do not. As it is with the good, so it is with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so it is with those who are afraid of them. This is the evil that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes us all. Whatever your hand finds to do, therefore, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working nor planning, nor knowledge nor wisdom. Ecclesiastes is always encouraging about about these things. So how do we process it all? How do we turn away from the fear and somehow redeem what seems like an irredeemable situation? Well, I think... Interesting, the word redeem comes from the Latin word re, which means back, and emere, which means to buy. So to redeem is to buy back. Any of us who've gone to a, uh, a pawn shop will know that, but it is to buy back. And so we have to buy back the situations we've got ourselves into, which is the fear of diminishment and death. We somehow have to redeem that. In the book, The Radiant Sutras, which is a tra- tantric text, uh, it says... The radiance of space permeates the body and all directions simultaneously. Space is always here. Already here, you're noticing it. What we call space is presence. It is permission to exist and worlds within which to express. Without thinking about it, without forming mental images, Rest in this vast space, friends with eternity, friends with infinity. The Tantra asks us to make friends with infinity, and that really goes back to that Joseph Campbell bit, which says that this body is a vehicle of consciousness. And if you can identify with consciousness, you can watch this body go like an old car. It's it's what you're identifying with. So I think we get the idea, but the point is, you know, can we do that? We're so programmed to look for the lesions, for the pain, for that failing with horror, that it's almost impossible to see it any other way. But that's really the mind identifying with the body. What we have to do is identify with consciousness, make friends with infinity, and by doing that, redeem, buy back the fear and the dread we have of diminishment and death. It's not rage, rage against the dying of the light, but it is awe and wonder at both light and darkness. And to see that before there was light and darkness, 
as it says in Genesis, the earth was formless and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. That's, that's the space we're going towards. We have to be with that infinity of consciousness that was there before we even thought about it and will be there when we ourselves are no longer thought of. That space will always be there. But how, how do we make friends with infinity? Well, the way we do that is we have to become infinity, encompassing all directions at the same time, which is the ultimate paradox. And within the idea of becoming infinity lies an expansion from the experience of linear time. We have to expand from the idea of linear time. With linear time, we see ourselves as having a finite lifespan. We travel from here to there, and we pass through time. In becoming infinite, we start by owning the present moment and seeing that time in the present moment is actually passing through us. Time is passing through us. We are the constant. We even feel like that. Inside you, how many here feel like you're still 25? Jessica accepted, who is under. I mean, who does feel like... You know it. Jess Jess is not yet 25. You feel like you're still 10, Jessica. But we still feel it. We still feel that we're still that person. And yet we look around and look in the mirror and think, who is this old person that I'm looking at? That's because you still feel 25 or 10 because you've never changed. What has changed is your awareness of what's going on around you. All time, everything is actually contained in you. And rather than being linear, it's like you're at the center of a sphere with all time and space around you, existing at the same moment. The past is here. The future is here. All within the present. And as such, your old age is existing at the same time as your youth. And to those of us who are young, Jessica, your old age is here as well. Okay, a little experiment. Look at the back of your hand, okay? If you're young, it contains the seed of your old age. And if you're old, you can still see the clearness of the skin that once existed beneath those liver spots that you're looking at right now. (laughs) Our aches and pains are reminders of the time. They're reminders of the time when we had no aches and pains. And in them we're reminded just how lucky we are to be alive. Even with that diagnosis that we're given, in reality the fear is the realization of what it is to be alive, the reminding of what it is to be alive and to be healthy. Our diagnosis brings that into sharp relief. It is, the fear is the realization of preciousness. The preciousness of life and all that it involves. But we try and hold on to it. 
as Gollum tried to hold on to the ring, my precious, my precious. It's the same thing. You can even feel it. He, he's, he's, the desperateness of that is the same desperateness that we have in our old age. We try to keep hold of what we have as we're acutely aware of the sands of time slipping through our hands. But in reality, the way we look at you know, all of this, we look at it like we're looking at it like through both ends of the telescope. When we're young, we see it through the big end. And everything is miles away. Oh, it's miles away. You don't have to worry about it. When we're old, we turn it around, we see it through the small end. Everything is coming closer to us. But the telescopes, it's just the perspective that we have. It's the same, but this perspective is difficult. We think we have less when we're older. We think we have more when we're younger, but in reality, we're just alive and in the present. That fantastic bit from 1 Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childhood behind me. For now we see only as a reflection in the mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now we see in part, then we will know fully, even as I'm fully known. The reality is the same. It is all about the perspective. So the way we move into that space of infinity <clears throat> is to see everything in its whole. To see the active limb in the limb that is less active. The sharp hearing in the dull hearing. To see the old in the young and the young in the old. And to see that all is just about perspective. To see life as linear is to, emiss, is to miss the eternal nature of things and become trapped in one view of the travel. We just are trapped in the train on the tracks as it moves along rather than from the high drone shot that sees where it's coming from and where it's going to and all the space in between. So let your fear drop away and become young again in your old age. This is what it means to realize the infinite, to uncover the realness of the infinite while seemingly traveling along the finite. That's what it means in the Bible when it talks about eternal life by the kingdom of heaven. It's the reality that includes all beginnings and all ends as part of the whole. And if it's the fear of death that's casting the shadow over eternity, remember the face you had before you were born. Remember the face you had before you were born and know you will have that face again when you die. Mark Twain famously says about death, I do not fear death. I was dead for billions and billions of years before I was born and had not the slightest suffering of inconvenience as a result of it. You know, we, we, we are so attached to where we are. The face before we are born, the face after we're born, is the same thing. And if you can't remember the face you had before you were born, is it any wonder that you cannot see the face you will have after you die? The key thing is, 
not to worry about it, but to hold both birth and death as a part of the reality of life and know that both are a mystery. Khalil Gilbran is always very safe in these areas. And here's this wonderful thing about death. He says, you would know the secret of death. But how shall you find it unless you seek it in the heart of life? The owl, whose night-bound eyes are blind unto the day, cannot unveil the mystery of light. If you would indeed behold the spirit of death, open your heart wide unto the body of life. For life and death are one, even as the river and the sea are one. In the depths of your hope and desires, lies your silent knowledge of the beyond. In the depths of your hopes and desires lies your silent knowledge of the beyond. And like seeds dreaming beneath the snow, your heart dreams of the spring. Trust the dreams, for in them is hidden the gate to eternity. Your fear of death is but the trembling of the shepherd when he stands before the king whose hand is to be laid upon him in honor. Is the shepherd not joyful beneath his trembling, that he shall wear the mark of the king? Yet is he not mindful also of his trembling? For what is it to die, but to stand naked in the wind, and to melt into the sun? And what is it to cease breathing, but to free the breath from its restless tides, that it may rise and expand and seek God unencumbered. Only when you drink from the river of silence shall you indeed sing. And when you've reached the mountain top, then you shall begin to climb. And when the earth shall claim your limbs, then you shall truly dance. Again, so many concepts. And we have these flowers, which were from a memorial that we had yesterday, where the coffin was here. One of the few times in Aspen, the coffin was here, uh, Craig Ewan. And, and there was a great sense of what we're talking about, because we were faced with it. And there's so many concepts here, but I just want to remind you what Thich Nhat Hand said at the beginning. We listen not to receive more notions and concepts but in order to get free from all notions and concepts. What's important is not that you remember what was said, but that you're free. Feel that freedom in your life and make friends with it. It will give you the deepest level of support and encouragement to an end that's mutually enriching. Heaven. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.